The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, live today from the American Century Championship Celebrity Golf Event here in beautiful Lake Tahoe. More than 90 big names across sports and entertainment are here vying for bragging rights in a total purse of $600,000. And importantly, this event also raises millions of dollars for local and national charities. The actor Ray Romano, he tees off a little later today. Before he does that, he's going to join us. That's going to be fun, of course. And the NFL Hall of Famer Tim Brown is going to be here as well. He runs a fuel logistics company. It's one of the few minority-owned businesses in that space. We'll catch up with him in just a bit. And the Investment Committee, of course, they're with me for the hour as we continue to talk about this rally. Josh Brown, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, and Steve Weiss joining us. Let's first check the markets, as we always do. We're higher across the board today, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ each hitting new 52-week highs. As you see there, yields, they're down. The 10-year note yield is at 379. So, Josh, I'm going to begin with you. The rally goes on. That's the headline, of course. And how about this headline from Goldman Sachs today? Because I think this sums everything up and where I really want to start the show. For the first time in 23, we're currently being asked by multiple clients if we think the S&P 500 is now on track to close at an all-time high before year-end. Quote, I'm going with a yes on this. Wow. Are you going with a yes on that, too? I, I mean, I hope it does. I don't I don't know precisely, you know, whether or not it'll close up, down or indifferent relative to the old high, of course. But I would just point out the most important factor going forward from this point would be increased participation. And we're getting it. And so by that, I mean, I don't think the Magnificent Seven can carry us to a new high if the rest of the market is not cooperating. On a year-to-date basis, Judge, only 29% of stocks in the S&P 500 are beating the overall index. That is the lowest reading that we've had since 1998. Uh, that's got to change. And things are in motion that tell me it could change to, to the upside. But until we get to that point, it's tough to feel particularly confident that we're going to you know, max out across the board mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. that all-time high. Uh, I, th- I think if you, if you go back and you look at some of the best rallies ever, what most of them have in common is that it started with large-cap leadership and ultimately it broadened out. And that broadening out is how you get the multi-year rally that we're, we're looking for, not just let's go back and kiss the old all-time high from January 22 and then fade away. So the good news is you are starting to get that participation. You're also getting a couple of other things, an end in sight to the rate hikes, 
a U.S. dollar that's almost 15% off its September 22 highs, that's definitely helping out not only on, on price, but also on the earnings front. Um, and you continue to get economic surprises to the upside. So that's where we are right now. Things, of course, could change. But if you ask me, gun to my head, is the new high going to happen? I'm going to say yes also, mm. but I'm mm-hmm. qualifying it. I need the rest of the market to continue to catch up to what we've seen in the first half. I hear you. Uh, makes sense. Shannon, that makes sense to you. And the question is, you know, sure, do we need it? Yeah. Will we get it? Ultimately, it comes down to that. What's the answer? Well, I think one of the things that's driven a lot of the activity that we've seen, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, is just the um, the amount of money that has come out of short covering. And I think we're seeing that, you know, on a week over week basis, continuing to see short covering. There will be an end in sight to that. There's a, you know, a, a diminishing marginal utility, if you will, in terms of short covering on the index at large. Um, but then there's this question, Scott, of all of this money that's on the sidelines and money market funds as well. And I think we've talked a lot about that over the course of the last year in terms of moving that money from money market funds out in duration in bonds on the curve. But what if that actually starts to fuel back into equities? What if this improved economic outlook? We saw PPI today coming in later than expected, which wasn't too much of a surprise. But what if this improved economic outlook actually leads people back into stocks? And I question where they will go. Right. Are they going back into active strategies? Are they going into indexing? Because once again, that's kind of the easy play to go right back into an index. But I agree with I agree with Josh in that the Magnificent Seven cannot continue to drive this market. The multiples, I believe, are too high um, and that earnings will have to really blow it out of the water to justify those. This broadening out not only in large caps, but in other caps, down to small caps, really needs to occur if you're going to get more of that money out of the sidelines and into stocks rather than into longer duration fixed income. Weiss, I I feel like that tees you up so perfectly because you're the kind of investor that Shannon's talking about. Someone who has, for the most part, been in other areas than equities. You haven't really had a ton of exposure. You've increased it and then decreased it here and there. Are you poised to now you know, get out of some of these other areas that you've been in, deploy more cash into the equity market because you agree with this call today from John Flood at Goldman Sachs that we're actually going to hit a new high, which is, you know, we got to get over 4,800. So we got some work to do of some 300 or so points on the S&P 500. You know, I, I, I've got to tell you, I, I read a lot of strategy information and economists, but uh, they really don't inform very much of what I do. Uh, so I'm not investing because I think we're going to hit a new high. I'm investing for a few reasons right now, and I have markedly increased my exposure as I've continued to talk about positions that I've put on over the last month or so. Um, But it's because the momentum's there, and this is much more of a glass-half-full market, glass-half-full investors than we've seen. So when when you maximize... Justifiably so, right? Right. Isn't is it? Right. I think that's right. I think that really is the key. Right. That we yes have gone no. from a yes glass no. half empty market to a glass half full market. Well, I, I think it's one of, you know, look, I think what's impacting it and what's driving it is that 
repeatedly said, and I'll say it again, you've got a new class of investors that has grown up their entire time in the market, basically, has been exposed to V-shaped recoveries. And maybe that's the right way to be because markets are a lot higher now than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago, despite recessions, despite geopolitical issues, et cetera. So just staying the course pays off. Uh, last year, you know, we had a pretty negative market and here we are bouncing back. Not all stocks have recovered. As a matter of fact, most haven't from last year's decline. But the headlines are that the market has, so because of the ways of the indexes. So look, rates have peaked. I mean, I think that's pretty clear, despite the Fed going perhaps two more times, definitely one more time in July. I doubt well, they back Mary off Daly, because right? of the move we've seen inflation. Did yeah. you hear Mary yep. Daly earlier so on the network within, within the last hour or so, right? She says too early to declare yep. victory over inflation. I mean, some are suggesting the Fed should just declare victory right. now, get it over with. She says right. two more but, rate hikes sound, sound reasonable in, in her projections. Right. But the point is, is that the bond market is telling you that rates have peaked. So if rates have peaked, you've lost that TINA, right? There is no alternative that drove the market years ago. Well, I think you've already seen as much money coming into bonds and money market funds as you're going to see, which is exponentially above the five trillion peak that we saw last year. So positioning, as Shannon points out, as I pointed out about a month ago, negative positioning on hedge funds was at an all time high. So they've receded from that. So the momentum is clearly going forward. So who am I as a single person to fight that momentum when I'm seeing both value in certain names and I'm seeing also momentum continuing in fundamentals mm -hmm. and others? I think well, this will be get... a pretty important quarter for the Microsofts, for the Googles, et cetera, because let's see if enterprise spending has reaccelerated and if these companies deserve the multiple. So well, this Jimmy... could be a tough quarter for them. That's not how I'm positioned, though. Uh, we'll get back to your, a couple of moves that you have in just a minute, Weiss, but I want to yeah. get to, to Farmer Jim in a moment because Citi's talking about that exact theme. Expectations are high. Positioning is still off sides. Obviously, the bar, because of the gains that we've had year to date on these mega caps, Jim, Apple 46 percent, NVIDIA 200 percent, Amazon 56, Meta 157. Uh, it's astounding. Now, as the stocks have gone up, the PEs have gotten a little bit richer and therefore the bar has gotten higher. Uh, it, it's true. But, you know, as we've spoken about, Scott, and as Josh was mentioning, and I think Sh Shannon and Steve also, this rally is starting to broaden out. So it's not it doesn't feel for the last six weeks like it's all on the back of NVIDIA, you know, and Apple. Um, and, and you're seeing more and more of that broadening out when you get good results from things like Delta Airlines. And we'll talk about that later. So let's not go into it now. But the overarching point that I would make, and this is circling back to your earlier question, is, yeah, I think we will hit the new all time high sometime in the next six to 12 months. Before then, though, Scott, I mean, let's respect the 17% year-to-date rally in the S&P 500. At some point, there's going to be a pullback. I don't think you'll get a full correction because now people have FOMO again, fear of missing out. Um, for a guy like me, and you know my positioning, I am not going to sell anything in anticipation of a 5 to 6% pullback that might occur this summer before marching to those new highs. The reason I'm not going to sell anything, and everybody knows my positioning, those cyclicals that are really performing well right now, I think they've got a lot of room to run and I don't want to get out of them by being too cute. On the flip side, 
if the FANG stocks where I'm underweight come down, that gives me an opportunity to add. So this is a time for a person like me to stay the course. I will say this to be helpful to others. If you're worried about that 5 to 6% pullback that maybe happens, maybe doesn't, I don't have a crystal ball, the VIX is awfully low right now if you want to buy some insurance. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point you make. Hey, Weiss, so let's get to some of these moves uh, because you've been in and out of the queues from time to time making these bets, not long-term by any stretch on technology, but it's mm -hmm. Alibaba, you bought that, and the queues. So what view does that express? Yeah, I, I, I added to a couple things as well. So on, so on Baba, and, and I've been negative on Baba and you know, was shorter for a long period of time, uh, covered it, unfortunately, at about 150. Uh, but the way I look at it is this way, is that um, the stock's cheap, so it's about 11 times earnings. The, the Chinese government, Xi in particular, is now embracing technology. They put the fights behind them. They settled with Ant, which was front and center. They brought back Joe Tsai to run Baba. And Bob is exposed to the entire economy, whether it's cloud, whether it's e-commerce. Just, just pick your poison, financial, fintech with Ant. So with them embracing, with the Chinese government embracing technology and perhaps taking a look at the U.S. playbook and seeing what's helped drive our, our economy, which are big cap tech and innovation, et cetera, I think this company is going to do well uh, going forward. So the stimulus is just, you know, mind boggling. So they need to do more. They will do more. I also added to Freeport. I was on the bubble, actually. Should I sell Freeport? Should I hold on to it because the Chinese economy? But the bad economy to me is in is is behind us and moving forward stimulus has to work. So that's why I bought Baba. I know the risks and the risks are delisting of the variable interest entities because when you buy Baba as a ADR, you don't own any assets. You own a revenue stream. That's it. Chinese government's come out in the past said this doesn't work. Then they came out and said this does work. So I don't think anything's going to happen there. Uh, in terms of Taiwan, what we saw with Russia and invading Ukraine, I don't think that's going to happen either. And despite what we're hearing in the headlines, you know, I do believe that there's a nice undercurrent with Yellen and Blinken going to China of trying to improve relations. So at this point, I believe the downside's minimal, and that's got a pretty significant upside. Are you looking at other in Chinese of, names as well? Yeah. I'm not really. I don't really, you know, I may, but uh, I'm, I'm not really. I may look at the index overall, but right now, Baba is, if, if the others work, Baba's going to work. Uh, you know, I've been short a bunch of others in the past, like like Billy and PDD, but mm -hmm. uh, but I've been short those for months and months. Let's spend some time uh, talking about the, the queues. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Weiss. This, so in terms of the queues, you know, I got long a little bit uh, and stayed and stayed long. Actually, I was long a lot and then took some off, but went long into the inflation number CPI because it was clear. It was clear to everybody uh, that numbers were going to be low. So uh, in this half full market, I thought they'd move higher. So I kept that position on, actually added to it after the print and have stayed long through the PPI print because I think it would follow the same way. Uh, the cues are, you know, are, are, are always, I wouldn't say always temporary, but generally are as a trade. So right now, well, I'm we've, staying there. we've I'm learned that to stay there. Yep, we've, we've learned that with you. There. And that's the way they should be used. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, no, I'm not saying I there is, but that's the way you've been playing. Me. No. Yeah, I know. Let, let me move yeah, on. Exactly. I mean, I, I, 
I do want to note. I do want to note there is an upgrade of Meta today, which, by the way, hits a new 52-week high. Uh, gets upgraded to outperform at TD Cow and Target goes to 345. But let's talk about the banks, uh, if we could, Josh. I'm going to begin with you. Um, obviously, on deck reporting tomorrow is J.P. Morgan, City, and Wells. Third or fourth best sector today. People really looking for some life out of this group because year to date the stocks have underperformed the uh, the broader market. J.P. Morgan, Josh, is really the only one that's done anything. Double-digit gainer up 11%. Are we to believe today that the story is about to get better or stay the same or perhaps get even worse? I think the story's been good for a long time. It's a 10 multiple. So you're, you're really not taking a lot of risk in J.P. Morgan unless you think there's like this imminent uh, deterioration in the domestic economy, which I suppose is possible. It just doesn't look plausible with the data that we're getting. So I know people get upset about that because – they had assumed that the economy would be way worse by now, given all of the tightening the Fed has done. Um, but that's just not what, what has ended up materializing. The consumer continuing to spend, being willing to continue to spend, and the lack of uh, serious delinquencies or bankruptcies or anything like that occurring from all these rate hikes, um, I think puts the banks in a good position in the second half. If things get worse, the stock will suffer. But, you know, again, can we can we wait for that to show up? So until that does show up, J.P. Morgan sits at the nexus of virtually all economic activity, whether it's commercial, consumer, government, you name it. Uh, it's a cheap stock. They just raised their dividend, got through the stress test. Um, I would say world-class uh, leadership, management, uh, and it's probably an under-owned stock. It's actually the only bank doing well, uh, bank stock doing well this year, and the only bank expected to have material earnings growth. Uh, so I, I think it's really well positioned. The last piece of the puzzle here is capital markets activity. The IPO mm -hmm. calendar is coming back slowly, but still, if you look at the deal count this past quarter that just ended versus the same quarter in 2022, it's roughly the same number of deals, but the difference is the reception. So all of the $100 million plus IPOs, uh, if you look at an average of their first day return, it's about 20%. So the market is receptive to deals. You're going to get more deals in the second half. J.P. Morgan's going to make money. Uh, and then you think about the banking franchise and the money that shifted over away from some of the weaker, uh, the more weakly capitalized uh, regionals. So they, there's just a lot of good things happening there. And I think the stock can continue to work its way higher. You know what, Jimmy, it's, it's interesting. Josh lays out the, the reasons why these stocks can, can do well. But even J.P. Morgan itself, in terms of their outlook for earnings, isn't that optimistic. We remain cautious on the large banks. Due to regulatory headwinds near term and longer term, due to uncertainty over the economy, implications for softer, hard landing, high prices, uh, et cetera. So, I mean, even the, even the bank strategists, analysts, those who look at this space and the stocks don't seem to be all that optimistic about where these stocks are going to go, at least in the near term. Yeah, well, okay, but I think that also emblemizes why these uh, stocks have underperformed for so long. The biggest one being fear of a recession, credit losses, lower earnings, the ongoing discussion about net interest margins, fears of uh, solvency or, or at least earnings declines at the regional banks. And the point I'm making here is I really do strongly think that that's all priced into these stocks. What's not priced still 
is an economic recovery. What's not priced still is uh, credit losses that don't get anywhere near as, as bad as people are worried about, or a steepening yield curve, or as Josh was pointing about, out, about, amongst other things, an uptick in the deal calendar. Let me summarize it by saying it this way. These stocks are amazingly cheap. And you know you don't buy stocks just because they're cheap. But if I look at Citigroup as one of my holdings, along with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, this is a company that last quarter, they've already announced, bought back a billion dollars worth of shares. That's against a market cap of $92 billion. So they have the cash flow, not only for a 4.3% dividend yield, but to buy back an annualized rate of 4% plus of their shares outstanding. To have those sorts of cash flows at these prices is really a buying opportunity, whatever the, I mean, the analysts are accurate. What they're not talking about is what's priced into the stocks. Guys, we're going to leave it there for the moment. I want you to stay with us. We are live from the American Century Championship here in beautiful Lake Tahoe. Look at this backdrop. Can you do any better than that? And one of the celebrities teeing off today is Ray Romano. He is going to join us next. We'll get his thoughts on that looming actor strike, his pivot to directing, and, of course, much more. We're back in Tahoe in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we are back at the American Century Championship here in gorgeous Lake Tahoe. This event has been owned and operated and produced by NBC Sports for the past 34 years. And we're excited to let you know that this week, NBC Sports and American Century Investments announced they're extending that partnership for the next six years. So we're not going anywhere. And we're excited about all of that. One of the celebrities who rarely misses this tournament is the actor and now director Ray Romano. He's with us live. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, my pleasure. How many right. years you've been coming here? This is number eighteen. Eighteen. 18th year. Yes. You told me last night you you can't sleep. You're so amped up when you come out here to to get out here and play. Yeah, the adrenaline starts flowing, <laughs> and um, there's two weeks of the year. This one and and Pebble Beach. You know, I play in the pro am. Yeah. And in each one of them. It's like Christmas morning every morning. You know, you can't sleep at night. You can't wait to get up, and it's. I want to sleep. I woke up even even for this. I woke up at five to five this morning. Yeah. Join the club. <laughs> Join the club. Uh, Let's talk some business. Um, okay. When the world's going on in Hollywood, now it looks like the the actors are, are going to strike along with the the writers. Um, yeah, it's not official yet. I would I think right. Uh, not yet, but yeah. it certainly it seems, seems to be heading in that direction. direction. Yeah, that's that's what I hear. I mean, look. The world is changing. The technology is changing. Uh, the, I, I think it was inevitable to just get what's fair, and let's see what happens. You know, I was out there with the writers uh, last week, walking, 
because I'm in that one. I'm in the act. I'm gonna get a. I'm gonna get my steps in. I think in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> you get, you need more hands to carry the yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. picket signs. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the first time you had an industry wide shutdown in some 63 years. Yeah, both the writers and the actors at the same time. So so, it, so, it, so it's it been happen. a while. Did it happen? Yeah. When you say uh, technology's changing, are are you, are you talking about? streaming yeah, and the way that the business itself yeah, is changing well how are you thinking about all the, that the, the uh, streaming the uh you know using your voice using your image uh the, your likeness you know with with all the new ai stuff and all that i mean it was no one was prepared for it no one you know all the contracts before that no one knew this was coming so um you know they just have to get up to date to protect uh, to to protect protect the actor protect the writer I mean, as a, as a as a creator of content, uh, as a, as an actor, do you do you care where your content necessarily goes at, at the outset? Do you prefer a movie to be in a theater? Do you care if it's on streaming? Do you follow all of the different streaming platforms? Yeah. Well, I mean, I <clears throat> I did just direct my first movie. That's right. And I wanted it in the theaters. And I always <clears throat> listen. I want people to see it. So now it's it's now available um, on pay-per-view and all that, and it will be streaming in October. But I wanted part of the joy of it, of making it, is sharing it with a room full of strangers, even, and that communal feeling in a theater where you, we're all from different lives, and yet we're we're enjoying this, we're bonding over this, we're laughing or crying at the same thing. I mean, that's the magic of the theater. So I never want that to go away. Now, having said that, if people can see it on streaming, I want that too. But but the the the, the payoff for me when it directing and write, I wrote it and I acted in it was those times we went and we sat in a theater and screened it with a full audience. That was really the reward of all this work for me. Yeah. What was it like? Directing your your first film, actually telling right. actors you know what to do. Do you have a new respect for the the process itself? I, I originally wasn't going to do it, and my agent talked me into it because it's a person. I wrote the script with my writing partner, uh, Mark Stegman, and it's a personal story. It, it's taken stuff from my life, and he told me, "Why don't you direct it?" And I said, "No way! I've never directed anything. I've never, all the shows I've been on, I've never directed." Mm. And he finally talked me into it. And when I went to prep for the movie, you know, you go about about nine weeks before we went to New York where we were filming, and we have to prep. You do nine weeks of prep, and day three of prep, I'm not making this up. I had to go to my cardiologist and get on the treadmill because I was getting chest pains. I was so stressed out by it. Yeah, it ended up being fine, but that, sorry, but that ended up being. Um, nine weeks of that wow. leading up to day one once i started it was fun once i started there was no time for that and yes i do i do respect uh direct i've always respected directors sure, sure but when you're the when you're the one behind the camera yeah. you know you're ultimately the one responsible for how the product is going to look at the at the end of the day yeah it's me i wrote it directed it started it there's no one else to blame but me <laughs> <laughs> does it still uh, amaze you how popular everybody loves raymond remains to this day how popular uh, of a character you were on that show it it's it's one of those iconic shows that just doesn't come around yeah. every day well it amazes me only because i hate myself <laughs> so but i have to 
give it up to the actors and the writers. You know, now that I'm I'm removed from it, I haven't I hadn't watched an episode in maybe 15 years. Is that right? Yes, but but lately, and I'm older now, so I'm reaching that okay. that point. You know, that mid that late late midlife early end of life crisis and I was I started watching them again and I, I appreciate it more now mm. and not so much what I do I, I cringe it when I see myself but the other actors how, how great they were in the writing how great it was and it just appeals because it's family and, and it's universal it doesn't matter where you're from everybody kind of feels and goes through the same stuff sure yeah. we have uh, one of our panelists uh, today is named Josh Brown and he has a question for you uh -oh. regarding the program uh, Ray Romano Josh Brown's yours uh-oh <laughs> I'm a little frightened. Hey, Ray I have a I, I have a comment and a question the comment is uh, everybody loves Raymond took place in Lindbrook I grew up in Merrick the exterior shot of your house on the show was 135 Margaret Boulevard. I grew up in 124 Margaret Boulevard in Merrick. Um, so I just, I'll throw that out to you. Here's my question. You have one night, uh, you're back in Forest Hills. You have one night, you're gonna take out a bunch of people uh, for dinner. They're not from Queens. They don't know where to go. You could pick only one of these two choices. Don Pepe's in Ozone Park or Parkside in Corona. Where are you going and why? That's a tough one because I've been to both of those. And, I know that, and I, <laughs> I don't want to. You, you, you're, this is a hard, this is a Sophie's choice, man. You can't make me make this choice. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble no matter where. We're going to go to Don Pepe's. Uh, we're going to go to one for dinner and one for dessert. That's what we're going to do. All right, you got out of it. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll take it. One o'clock today. You're uh, you're hitting golf balls, right? One o'clock today. It's the it's the you know the corporate round, and then tomorrow the tournament. The real thing. Starts. Yeah. All right. We we wish you uh, we wish you the best. I think you've you've come in 60th place twice. History is Don't not supposed me. to. I history know. is not supposed to repeat itself. I'm a numbers man. I, I came in. My best I've ever done is 57th. I want right. I want to crack that. I want to crack 50 at, at some point. Yeah. Right. We'll be watching for you. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. All right. That's Ray Romano uh, joining us here. By the way. Be sure to catch NBC's coverage of the American Century Championship Friday through Sunday on NBC, the Golf Channel, and Peacock as well. Plus, coming up on July 25th, you can join me in Los Angeles as CNBC and Boardroom team up to host Game Plan. It's a high-powered event bringing together the most influential leaders across the sports landscape. For details, go to cnbcevents.com slash gameplan. We're excited about that. Up next, Bob Iger on the record. Our David Faber speaking exclusively with the Disney CEO. He is going to join us next with those highlights. We're back right here in Tahoe on the half in two minutes. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today.
Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we uh, take a look at Disney shares today, by the way, which are getting a little bit of a bump, which takes us out to Sun Valley today in Idaho. That's where our David Faber spoke exclusively with Disney CEO Bob Iger earlier today. David, it's good to see you. Uh, another beautiful backdrop. I don't know if it beats this one, but it's pretty darn good. It's a lot nicer than our two desks next to each other at the New York Stock Exchange yes. at this time, typically, Scott, right? <laughs> yes, That's it is. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. I might even give you the edge a little bit. You got a little more snow in that background. But uh, thank you, Scott. Um, we did have a wide-ranging interview this morning with Bob Iger, really about the future of the company that he's now going to be running until the end of 2026. Uh, one area that I thought worth focusing on is the future of ESPN, because it was one of a number of different areas in which he frankly made news. It was almost eight years ago, it was August of 2015, in which during a earnings conference call, the company first brought up subscriber losses at ESPN. Well, here we are eight years later, and of course, the future of that key property is really in question in terms of what's the strategy. Uh, and Iger made it clear they're open to joint ventures, equity partnerships, and of course, the expectation in the not too distant future that they will move it to a streaming service. Take a listen. We have a great brand, we've had a great business, and we want to stay in that business. That said, we're going to be open-minded there too, not necessarily about spinning ESPN off, but about looking for strategic partners that could either help us with distribution or content, but we want to stay in the sports business. What would a strategic partner look like with distribution or content then for ESPN? Well, I think you could, again, I'm, 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 I'm not going to get too detailed about it, but we're bullish about sports in general as a media property. Uh, there is an inevitability, by the way, you raised it, to taking ESPN and direct-to-consumer. Yep. We haven't said when, but we do know that it will happen. Of course, the economics there become a key. When do you get to the point where you can ensure you're going to have or hope you have enough subscribers who are willing to pay you a monthly fee, Scott, that is going to equal or not exceed your sub fees currently coming from the cable providers? Um, advertising, obviously, also an important component of that. Now, there'll be a lot of speculation about, well, who would that potential partner be? Could it be Apple, for which he did a video recently when they introduced uh, their new product? Um, Will it be somebody else? Uh, that conversation begins, but uh, clearly they are open to a lot of potential alternatives, although not parting with ESPN. Scott? thought it was interesting, too, David, on that very topic of, of Mr. Iger saying, you know, that when, when he got there, TV in general, broadcast TV or linear TV, proved to be even worse than he thought it was when he came back in the door. And he thought it was pretty darn bad. I think that goes to show just exactly what they're seeing in terms of linear subscriber declines. Um, we've talked about it for years. We know it's ongoing, but there had been an expectation, frankly, that it would slow. Instead, I think it has sped up. Now, they're in a quiet period. He couldn't speak to specifics of the quarter that they recently closed, but he made it clear that it is incredibly challenging and it is informing his decision making about what he's going to do both with ESPN, but even more so, as he made very clear, with ABC and the linear cable networks they have, which he basically said are not core to Disney uh, any longer. 
Uh, Scott, I should add, we're going to recap uh, the interview later uh, on our, uh, in our prime time at, about, at 8 o'clock tonight. We'll have the full interview with Iger once again for our viewers. Oh, great. Um, we're, we're excited to hear that. L let me ask you one more question and, and take it to the issue of succession. Sure. Um, obviously, he says now he's, he's staying on for two more years than originally uh, expected. You, you can't help but look at this story, David, and wonder why is it apparently so difficult to find a CEO to take over for Bob Iger? It's a great question, and I don't have an answer for you, uh, other than apparently it is very difficult to find a CEO to take over Bob Iger. They thought, the board thought that it had their man in, in Bob Chapek. That did not go the way they'd anticipated at all, not for the board and not for Mr. Chapek as well. It was somewhat unexpected, perhaps, that they would then turn to Mr. Iger again instead of perhaps having somebody else in mind. He has what he would point to as a strong team behind him, though it's clear, Scott, I think, that there's not an expectation on the board that any of the three individuals, all of whom were here uh, watching this morning live, are ready to take the helm of the company. But you're right. There does seem to be sort of a shortage of perhaps senior, very senior talent out there that is willing to take this on and or some of the other companies. You think about, uh, you know, the other leadership as well uh, at some of the others. But it's a good point. It's the key responsibility of a board. And they've kind of pushed it down the road for another couple of years, as you say. Yeah, it's been a can that's been kicked uh, and they'll kick it a little more. David, appreciate it so much. Uh, I'll see you back at your desk, I guess, next week. You got it, buddy. Yeah. All right, man. Soon. Yep. Yep. That's David Faber uh, out in Sun Valley. Uh, Jimmy, quickly, you own Disney. Uh, so I don't know. Are you surprised at what you got from from Bob Iger today, including the announcement of another two years? I'm actually not surprised. I kind of felt this was inevitable just simply because the task that he has at hand and that he has willingly taken on is longer than 18 months. It, it just is. Um, and I think he's got the energy to complete it. Uh, so I'm glad that this confirms what I kind of thought was going to happen. It's good news to me, Scott. All right. Good stuff. Coming up, we have your earnings playbook. We're going to talk to Jim about Delta's record quarter. Halftime is back right after this. We welcome you back with our chart of the day. It is Delta posting record quarterly earnings, hiking its full year outlook. There's the stock up one and a half percent. Jimmy, you're the man on this one. Uh, year to date, it's, it's astonishing, really, up 45 percent. It's a cyclical stock, Scott, and, and what we have seen in the last couple of months is that the cycle is very much intact, much more so than was feared at the beginning of the year. So the stock is just catching up to where the economic fundamentals are. I do want to make one comment, just continuing on here. You know, Ed Bastian at the Investor Day uh, two weeks ago gave a lot of indications that he think it's no longer a cyclical stock, that there's a secular story here. I personally find that hard to believe. I'm not buying into that. But at the same time, we're really, I think, about halfway through where this stock needs to go in terms of reflecting the cycle that is a lot better than people expected. Uh, stock was soft yesterday too, Scott, and that was on fears that price declines, ticket price declines, as evidenced in the CPI would hurt earnings. Obviously, that's not the case. Demand is strong. It looks like it's going to remain strong for quite some time. So I'm going to ride this uh, for now. But this is not uh, this is not a permanent stock. Man, if only our resident airline stock hater Steve Weiss had, had these stocks <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Weiss, I had to give Jim a little yeah, something I'm, there. I'm not, I play, I, I, I've, I've traded them in the past. Uh, I agree with Jim. These aren't sustainable. And the difference between 
what we're seeing there in the economy overall is that when you book your airfares, you're booking, booking them a long time in advance. So to the extent that part of the economy, we've seen it in numbers, uh, is under siege still from inflation uh, and wages not keeping up with it, uh, I just don't think you see the same momentum. Additionally, airlines have always brought on additional capacity, and you will see that. But right now, they, they look fine. Uh, they're not cheap. This is what they normally trade at. So you can't put a market multiple on them. No, they've had a great year uh, thus far. Um, United Airlines up better than 45%, but 45% seems to be around the benchmark. Guys, we'll take a quick break. When we come back right here live at the American Century Championship, NFL Hall of Famer Tim Brown. We're going to talk to the Heisman winner turned CEO when halftime comes back. Welcome back to Lake Tahoe, live from the American Century Championship at this beautiful location. NFL Hall of Famer Tim Brown is with us. He's the CEO of transportation company 81 Logistics. It's one of the few minority-owned businesses in that space. Welcome. It's Thank great you. to catch up Appreciate with you, you Scott. out here. You know what I found interesting in, in reading an article about you is you were thinking about entrepreneurship very early in your NFL career. Well, you know, fortunately or unfortunately for me, uh, when I got injured in 1989, uh, the Raiders doctors actually came to me and said, hey, look, man, this is really bad. You know, you may have three or four more years uh, with, uh, with, your, with your knee. We recommend you use this great Notre Dame education. I mean, that's really what they told me. And I was like, what are you guys talking about? I'm 23 years old. Uh, but, you know, in the back of my mind, I realized that's why I had gone to the University of Notre Dame, you know. So, so we started a shoe company back then. We had a shoe company called Pro Moves. We had shoes in Foot Locker and Athletic Express and mm. all kinds of places and ran into some issues, but uh, it was a great experience for us. So, well, yeah, well, no doubt about it. I guess what the doctors didn't realize, you were going to play another 14 years <laughs> yeah, or, after or, that or injury. So, but before you were going to go ahead <laughs> And, and become part of this business. How did this business happen, this transportation company, 81 Logistics? So I'm playing golf with, uh, with, the, with the buddy who is in the industry, and he told me that there was a problem because of the, the short, shortage, shortage of minorities being in the business. And uh, so we took a look and were shocked that in 2016, there was not one minority company who could supply fuel coast to coast for any of these companies. Hmm. So um, so we, we thought we would take, I had just gone into the NFL Hall of Fame. You know, I knew a Dennis Nash and, and Ken Advantage Group, a, a transporting company who was looking for a minority partner, uh, had some suppliers who was looking for minority partners. And it just sort of all, nobody gave it to me. They made us work for it. It took us a year to get contracts with these companies. Uh, but, you know, we put the work in and uh, we, you know, we started to get, you know, trying to get things done. Transporting fuel. Transporting fuels and trying to supply also, you know, so getting supply from, you know, uh, these big Fortune 500 companies right. and, and moving it, you know, to the... Um, did, did I read correctly that 7-Eleven is, uh, is a customer of yours? 7-Eleven, uh, they were the first to, to join us as far as being one of our suppliers. Dallas-based yes, company. Based, I remember yes, that from my, from my days down yeah. there um, as well. Are you keeping up then on fuel prices and what the price of oil is and gasoline and all that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. Are you into that? I, I, you know, I have no choice but to be into it, right? I mean, certainly, you know, I have to be Tim Brown. I have to come and do things of this nature. I have to travel. Uh, but certainly you know, I get the reports every day, you know, uh, uh, fuel news and, you know, all that, yeah, all that comes. <laughs> fuel news. <laughs> That's what you've gone to reading from Sports <laughs> Illustrated to fuel exactly news. That. No, exactly. Uh, let me ask you some, some football stuff. Raiders now, uh, obviously, in, in Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, you happy with that? 
I'm happy with the Raiders being in Vegas, yeah. I, you know, of course, I wanted them to stay in Oakland, but it came very clear that that was not going to happen. And, uh, you know, so the franchise needs to have a home. And I was glad that Vegas, um, you know, stepped up. And, you know, it's going great there, you know. The, the franchise is making a lot of money. The guys are, you know, having a great time there. Now we got to win some football games. You know, that, <laughs> that's what this thing is ultimately yeah, about. A quarterback, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say, yeah, yeah, you know, we're going <laughs> to move on. I mean, look, I, look I, I'm glad I'm on this side of, 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 the, um, uh, of the field or whatever. But, um, you know, some things I don't understand. And, you know, maybe they do there. So we'll see how this thing works out. Yeah, when when you look at, at that conference, one of the biggest challenges, obviously, and I'm sure you'd love to be catching passes, not that you didn't have some great quarterbacks that you played for, but the quarterbacks in the AFC are, are unbelievable, yeah. some of whom are, are, are going to be yes. playing golf out here as well. Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the list goes goes on and on. Yeah. Um, who stands out to you the most? Who Who's the favorite? Oh, well, I mean, you, when you look at what Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl with a bum ankle, you know, if the guy's healthy, now what? You know what I mean? That, that's the problem. I mean, there's no stopping him because whatever you do, he's going to improvise and do something to, you know, to counter what you're doing. So you literally have to try and outscore. And, you know, if you can get one stop and then you're off, but your offense has to be on. If your offense is not clicking, you know, you're not going to beat them 14 to 10. You know, you know, you, you have to put up 30 points if you're going to beat that team. Yeah. What do you make of the changes that have taken place uh, in the NFL? It's obviously um, – you know, more favorable, I think, to, to the offenses, uh, the way they protect the quarterbacks today. or Receivers have more of an opportunity mm -hmm. to uh, get open and, and, and get the kind of yardage that you're you're accustomed to. Do you, you, you like that, that style of football? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it had been great if it was <laughs> like that for us. You, know? you, you, you did okay no matter what it was. You know, I, I had a former coach to tell me, Tim, I think you guys would have caught about 200 passes a year if you were playing in today's football because it was a much more physical, the first five yards for us was very physical because the defense's you know uh, goal at that particular point was to stop you inside that five yards if they could stop you there then you know but that's not the case anymore you know it's it's um it's you you're free to run off the line of scrimmage so um yeah it, it's a different game man it's enjoyable and i think that's what the nfl is shooting for so uh but you know i, I don't have any any qualms about it all right Appreciate it very much. Hey, thank you, sir. Appreciate Wish you well uh, on yeah. the golf course uh, out here, of course, and uh, even more importantly as your role as a CEO of 81 Logistics. All right, you. that's Tim Brown, uh, the NFL Hall of Famer, joining us right here in Tahoe. Be sure to check out NBC's coverage of the American Century Championship. It's Friday through Sunday on NBC, the Golf Channel, and, of course, Peacock as well. We'll come back right after this break. We'll do final trades next. I hope you will join me at 3 o'clock Eastern today for the closing bell. We'll be live again right out here in Lake Tahoe. SNL's Colin Jost is going to be with me. We'll have some fun with that, obviously. The American Century CIO, Rich Weiss, as well. Talk about the markets there. Greg Branch, too. You know how negative he's been on the market. So we'll see what he thinks now as this rally rolls on. Shan, real quick from you. What are you looking for? Banks tomorrow and then turning to next week. 
For banks, uh, we've seen a lot of support in the credit market, Scott, since the end of March. Uh, big banks uh, and regional banks have raised about $50 billion in credit, so we'll see if, if the uh, financial mm -hmm. results justify that. And I think going into next week, um, really thinking about nominal sales coming down as inflation is coming down, how are these companies going to deliver earnings when they don't get that lift on the top line? All right, quickly, final trade. Give me a name, guys. Josh, you first, then Steve, then Jim. Uh, toast, new 52-week high. Baba. Wind Resorts, Oil Spring. All right, guys, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you at 3 o'clock. Closing bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.